6.30 Chad Afternoons with Jalen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 6.30 Chad. Right now, though, I wanted to get into this. I saw this uh, last week when uh, when I was uh, away. And, um, you know, on social media, I think we all have places that we go to for a bit of a, a cleanser, right? Um, it could be a gardening page on, on Facebook or a birding page on Facebook, a dog page on Instagram, um, or our next guest's account on Twitter. Eric Elper has been a guest on this show many times. He is a music publicist and a host on a Sirius XM, but his Twitter account really gets a lot of people talking and attention, so much so CNN recently profiled Eric and his ability to tap into our nostalgia. The article uh, was titled uh, The Man Behind Some of the Best Questions on Twitter. <laughs> questions like today's, which celebrity's death really made you cry or what opening lyric of a song gives you chills? Hi, Eric. Welcome back to the show. Uh, well, you know, look, if I'm if I'm going to get on CNN, it's going to be for acting. You know, it's, it, it's funny. You know, my sister works in, in cancer research here in Toronto. She is overworked, underpaid, doing hundreds and thousands of COVID tests throughout each and every yep. single week. I'm the guy that asks silly questions on Twitter. Guess one which makes CNN. I know, I know. When you got the phone call or the email, what did what did they say to you? What how did this come about? Well, the, the, the writer was was watching the Twitter feed for a while and, and like today where Robin Williams became a worldwide yeah. trending topic um, was because of that question, which celebrity death made you cry? Um, yeah. And sometimes when when the question might be so obvious to you and I, where it's like, oh, Robin Williams, I'm sure. But you go through the question, and there are people around the world proclaiming mm-hmm. their love and sadness for people that I would have never guessed, um, or like they're more local, or that you know they don't really have that big of a spotlight on them. And that's all I wanted social media to be, not just for myself, for my daughter and and my wife. We're all like that. We stay away from politics. We stay away from arguments. I I don't care a whit what anybody voted for or why, but I do care about the fact that music makes everybody feel really good or sad. And so let's just kind of celebrate it every day. And that's uh, what I hope to do. There is something about the nostalgia that is that is that comes from your account. You know the the questions that are asked or the pictures that that you show. How 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 much time do you spend um, curating stuff to put on your account? It's it's a fair bit of mount, but you know, working in the music industry, this is. This is, it, it all kind of intersects with it. You know, there's probably not a lot of Twitter feeds that will show you a picture of Light Bright followed by, you know, the Dukes <laughs> of Hazards, followed by Don DeLuise and go, there's nothing that connects all these people or things together except for, um, it's just really fun to be able to think about those things. So I do it first thing in the morning and then I just set it up all day because I have to actually do some work um, and uh, and talk to people like you so that the, the ability to just kind of let it run. But I check it a lot just to, you know, make sure that, 
um, that I'm not missing anything of what's going on around the world. And I still, I still think it's one of the brilliant things um, that has been invented in the last 20, 25 years. If you're a news and pop culture junkie like me, um, to know what people are listening to and watching and, and caring about, even if it is a little bit too snarky for my taste sometimes. Well, and that's it. Um, and, and in this article, uh, Ron Sexsmith, of course, singer, songwriter, Canadian singer, songwriter, uh, was quoted as saying, Twitter can be an angry, unforgiving place, but Eric's Twitter feed is a force for good. And I would agree with him on that one. And and good on you for creating something that is uh, that is you know about is you know the only thing that's going to be uh, divisive uh, is maybe people's differing opinions on what's the best album out there ever or the first you know opening the best opening lyric to a tune but what i'm amazed at is i look at the people that you've worked with eric in in, in your career i mean and the list is a, is a who's who in the entertainment industry you know uh, ringo star monty python duran duran you name it from one extreme to the other and and this is what they're writing the article on, and that's why I'm talking to you today. Uh, yeah, they should they should be writing it on the fact that I've never confused the Wiggles with Guar in my day because I've worked with both of them at the same time, and that would be disastrous if I. But you know, I've met so many amazing people. You know, um, when whenever I ask a question about something like who were the first concerts you ever saw, or what was the loudest show you ever saw, or what were the most strangest, bizarre mm. thing you ever saw at a concert, people will tag the artist, and yeah. the responses from everybody, from Eric Idle to Cameron Crowe to yeah. Michael Stipe, and and. I think it makes the artists feel really good because they're so insulated. They're so protected against getting fan stuff, but they know that when they're tagged yeah. in something that somebody answers a question, it's all going to be good. So they don't have to worry about it rather than, you know, um, even questions like, you know, the Beatles versus the Rolling Stones. I would never yeah. ask that because I think it's too, I think it's too narrow. And, and I mm-hmm. never want anybody to ever think, that they're being that they're being slammed, and I have to treat yeah. every artist that I'm talking about on Twitter as if they're my own. Absolutely, you know, it's it's it, and I, one of the things that I love uh, about your account is that you know 99.9% of the the people who who are reading that can can answer one of your one of your questions. I mean, you you ask the loudest concert you've ever been to, and you know immediately I'm back at Crocs and Rolls in Thunder Bay, a great <laughs> legendary bar, um, and Big Sugar was blasting the roof oh, off yeah. the place. Like when Big Sugar was just Big Sugar, and that bar is the size of my kitchen, right? Like it was unreal. Yeah. Um, and, and I love that. It's something that everyone can participate in. And, and Eric, you've you've created a really wonderful community uh, by by uh, by doing this. I wanted to talk to you about something else though today, which I thought was really really fascinating. Yeah. It's about the resurgence of vinyl, the popularity of, of vinyl. Last year, uh, last year, what vinyl outsold CDs for the first time in 34 years in the U.S. The sales uh, up to what 232 million, and CD sales were down uh, 48%. First off, I'm amazed that people are still buying CDs. But what is it about vinyl? What is it? What 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 it? Why the resurgence? Here, here's what I don't want to happen. In 2040, I don't want my grandkids to start clowering around my house looking for disc meds <laughs> and disc CDs so that they could be cool in their grade school. That's what I don't want. Um, I, the vinyl thing is interesting because while we were all um, all isolated in COVID, 
we were doing a lot of consumption of entertainment. We were watching a lot of TV. We were watching a lot of movies on TV. And we were also listening to a lot of music and watching a lot of YouTube videos. For people that aren't really satisfied with the sound quality, you know, going back to the nostalgia part, Vinyl does so many different things that CDs just wasn't couldn't do. Um, not only do people love the artwork and um, and the big liner notes that come with this, so you don't have to split your eyes when you're opening up a CD. But I think for a lot of people. Um, Listening to old music during COVID, it's been proven that more songs from the 60s and 70s and 80s had a much higher um, uptick in the last 12 months than even some new song. And I think yeah. that's because people were nostalgic for those good times when, I mean, forget about going out, when they just yeah. could actually see people and hang out again. That's what vinyl did to a lot of people. But you know what, Eric? We're seeing new artists putting out their new albums on vinyl, and and, yeah. and that to me is that that to me is is really interesting as well. It's astounding. You know, Ariana Grande has the third highest week of vinyl sales in the last 35 years. The other artists wow. on the top five were the Beatles and Foo Fighters <laughs> and Pearl Jam. So interesting cats that she's with. But Billie Eilish not only has put her latest albums out on vinyl, but cassettes as well. And so I think <laughs> the ability for these artists to try something new. And I think vinyl never really, never really went away in terms of being cool. I think what the CD fed itself on was just the ability that you could take it with you like cassette mm. with better sound quality but I don't think vinyl ever lost its luster I think it took another generation to realize that you know maybe taking things with you with with headphones wasn't the only way to start listening to music while we were all at home you know listening to music on our stereo systems you know, really interesting that you say that because just had a text in from Sean the Engineer and he says, you know what, I think one of the reasons that vinyl is returning is because it forces the listener to sit and dedicate time to listening to music. Um, it, it becomes an event instead of just having it tag along while you're cutting the lawn or doing whatever. You have to yeah. sit down. You know, you have to I'll, clean I'll... it all off. Oh, it's perfect. Yeah, and I'll go into further. It's probably more than a few of our of us our only exercise for the day that we get walking to the stereo to flip over the vinyl record and then going to sit back down again and listening to it. Yeah, it's there's just something else. Like I remember going through my dad, all my dad's vinyl, and I actually in my office, in my office office, not my home office, I have a couple of my favorite old time uh, albums, and and it's a hot uh, Neil Diamond Hot uh, Hot August Night, and I have them yeah. in my office, and I still just love looking at the pictures in it and opening it up and and reading everything. That was just such an experience, um, and 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 I and I'm glad that people are getting back into it. And I'm I'm glad to see that that happening. I I don't know. I, I, I didn't even know that people bought CDs anymore. I honestly did not. <laughs> yeah, it's still, it's still really, really popular in places where you um, they don't have a record player or that they don't have great internet connection in order to, to get on some of the music streaming services. But isn't that what most things are in this world when it comes to pop culture? You go to one extreme and then directly the opposite. In the land of and in the era of Michael Jackson, you ended up with Nirvana, with the, uh, mm. you know, with with Britney Spears and NSYNC and Backstreet Boys. You know, you had grunge music 
on the other end of the spectrum. When you have a, a whole generation of, of teenagers that are, are learning about music and listening to music and you can't hold anything physical in your hand, those people who don't want to be that and who want to stand out and who may want to be cool are actually going to go to the biggest, bulkiest thing that you can possibly <laughs> buy, and that's a vinyl record. It's the uh, most expensive thing out there, too. Some of the top 10, 15 vinyl records out there of the week are 35 to $40. That's a lot of wow. money for people to spend, so it's a little bit of prestige and status factor as mm. well, just like hanging out with your older brother's best friend when you were a teenager and they were playing <laughs> your music. It was like, it was just a world that you, you weren't really a part of that you're suddenly in and you kind of, you know, jump in. Uh, you know what? It's 2.48. Eric, I'm out of time. I want to thank you for joining me this afternoon. I'm going to let everyone know that uh, they can follow you on Twitter at that Eric Alper. It's a great, great Twitter feed. Always great to talk with you. Thanks for checking in. Uh, thanks for having me. We'll definitely talk soon. Yeah, you betcha. Eric Alper joining me this afternoon. Sean the Engineer says there's a Facebook group in Edmonton that trades vinyl. Look for the Dead Vinyl uh, Society. Uh, yeah, do you, do you remember that, you guys? You know, that first vinyl that you had or maybe the one that you ended up loving the absolute most like I remember, you know, again, you know, this was way back before all of the, uh, the the scandal, but, you know, the Michael Jackson Thriller album, um, I, I remember, you know, Prince's Purple Rain album, absolutely loved that. Those were ones that I went out and bought myself, but, you know, you go to the, what was it, Byway or Zellers, and you'd get those, uh, those, those pop music mixes. What was your first album that you had? Do you remember? It's 780-496-0063. I think I had, you know, the very first, first one bought was, I think, Olivia Newton-John, Let's Get Physical. Ugh. I don't think my parents, I, I didn't have a clue what that song was about at that time.